All right. Uh, Well, if you uh, have your sermon outline in your bulletin, uh, it'll tell you the passages that we're going to look at. So if you want to go ahead and turn to some of those, um, hold your place there so that you'll be ready when we get to them. We're not going to have the words on the screen today. If you need a Bible, uh, you are welcome to uh, a Bible. There are some on either side of the sound booth at the back. Uh, the um, paperback Bibles you're welcome to take with you if you uh, need a Bible. Uh, the hardback Bibles, if you could return those to us, we would uh, appreciate that. Well, we've been in a series on the book of Samuel, uh, but we took a break from that series last week and uh, talked about baptism, which we're going to be having here today in just a few minutes. Are you guys excited to see a baptistry in our own building? Yeah, I, I am as well. Uh, We're going to return to that series in 1 Samuel next week, but uh, I felt to take uh, one more week of a break from that because I felt directed toward a a specific topic for today's uh, service. I feel that I'm supposed to further emphasize some themes that were present in last week's message, and specifically, uh, that is the reality that when we come to faith in Christ— When we turn to him for salvation and receive the salvation that he so graciously has secured for us, the Bible teaches that when that happens, the result is we become new, brand new people. We don't stay like we used to be. We don't remain who we used to be. We become uh, completely uh, new. Here's how the Apostle Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians 5.17. He writes, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. For every single person in this room today who has turned to Christ in faith, this verse, this passage is true of you. Everything about your old life has been done away with. It is completely gone. Are you thankful for that? I am thankful for that reality. Paul is so emphatic about this that he says that when we're in Christ, we become a new creation. We are an entirely new person. The terminology here is significant because we're, we're to understand from this that God does not just consider us an improved version of our former selves. God considers us to be brand new. A great passage that I think helps drive home this point that we're new is found in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 9 through 11. I don't think this one was on your outline, so I'll just read it for you. But here's what it says. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then there's this line, this sobering line, and that is what some of you were. But it doesn't stop there, it goes on. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. 
Notice that after naming all of these sinful things that people involve themselves in, Paul writes, and that is what some of you were. He's saying that, he's acknowledging that their identity was tied to their sin. And many of us who come to Christ, our identities for much of our lives have been tied to some sin that we've been involved in. We see our identity as alcoholic. We see our identity as adulterer. We see our identity as uh, gossip. Uh, We see our identity as a thief or a drug abuser. Paul wants us to know that while it's true, we used to be those things. We used to be identified by those things. Something happened when we came to Christ in faith. Both 1 Corinthians 6 and 2 Corinthians 5 make it clear that we are not those people anymore. We're not who we used to be. We have been made new. When God considers your life, when God looks at you, he no longer sees you as thief. He no longer sees you as gossip or adulterer or alcoholic. What God sees when he looks at you is an entirely new and clean creation. You're not your previous self, just a little better version of your previous self. You are new. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us how this occurs. How it is that people who were once identified by their sin become completely separated from their sin. How it is that they are no longer identified by it. How they come to be these new creations In Christ, it says, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, there's not a bad verse in the Bible, but that's a really good verse right there. Uh, That's at the top of the list of great things that we find in the Bible. On the cross, Jesus... Sinless, morally perfect Jesus willingly bore in his body the just penalty for sin. He who had no sin became sin for all of us. And because God was uh, willing to allow his sinless son to take on our sin and satisfy our debt, what was ours became his. He has chosen to then allow what was his to become ours. It's a divine transaction. It's a wonderful transaction. Christ takes on our sin and then gives to us his righteousness. All of our sin is offloaded onto Jesus and his righteousness is given to us. Several places in the New Testament refer to his righteousness as being imputed to us, which basically means that God credits Christ's righteousness to our account. What a transaction. What a transaction. In him we become the righteousness of God. You are new. The old has gone, Paul writes. Now, the enemy tries to tell us 
that the old has not gone. The enemy tries to tell us this. The enemy will try to tell those of you being baptized today that you're not really new. That you are the same old person that you have always been. But here's what you need to know about the enemy. He lies. He is the father of lies. You are not the same old person. The old has gone. The new has come. You are, in fact, a new creation in Jesus Christ. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4, tell us a little bit about what it means to be new. Of course, uh, you'd, you'd have to just spend like thousands of years to, to fully uh, try to explain that, and it would be beyond our ability to do even if we spent that much time. So we can't fully uh, define what it means to be new from a few verses and a few minutes here together, but there are some key things here that we find in Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Here's what it says. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let me just point out four things from these verses that tell us what it means to be a new creation in Christ. First of all, new creations in Christ are those who have been raised with Christ. This is, a resurrect, uh, this is a reference to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Christ's resurrection demonstrated his defeat of death, uh, demonstrated his defeat of sin. Death could not hold him, and so he was able to rise victorious over death. New creations in Christ are those who have been raised with him. In other words, his victory is their victory. Because death could not hold him, death cannot hold them. Death cannot hold you. Now, Christ may not return in our lifetimes. I I tend to think that he might. But I thought he was going to come before I was 12, so I'm... I, I, I'm a little more uh, am, am, uh, ambivalent about whether he'll come in my lifetime than I used to be. But he may not return in our lifetimes. Uh, and if he doesn't, uh, here's the reality for all of us. We are going to experience physical death. It's just going to happen. But just like physical death could not hold Jesus, physical death cannot hold you, Christian. And on that day, when the trumpet of God sounds, just like Jesus rose from the grave, you will rise from the grave. New creations in Christ are people for whom Christ has secured eternal life. Having a bad day? Here's something to to brighten your day. Think on this reality a little bit. You have eternal life. Death's sting, which is sin, has been removed from your life. Death has no more victory over you. You will live forever with Christ as he intended us to live from the beginning. 
Now, if that truth ever really gets into our hearts, we can still have bad days, but they're not going to be quite as bad. That, that's sort of a day-improving thought, wouldn't you, th- wouldn't you say? Eternal life. Here's the second thing we find that it means to be new. It is that your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Uh, according to William Barclay, at the time of this writing... The Greeks very commonly spoke of a person who had died as being hidden in the earth. Christians had died a spiritual death in baptism. And so instead of saying, uh, using this phrase, hidden in the earth, they considered themselves to be hidden in Christ. And it was, according to Barclay, the experience of the early Christians that the very act of baptism, I love this phrase, wrapped them round with Christ. Wrapped them round with Christ. New creations are those who have been wrapped round with Christ. They are people whose identity has been lost in Christ. They have been hidden with Christ in God. Those of you who are being baptized today, you have been. And in your baptism, you will be enveloped by Christ, wrapped round by Christ Hidden in Christ, Christ becomes your identity. Now look what Paul says in verse 4. When Christ, who is your life. Who is your life? The third thing we find about uh, what it means to be new is that Christ becomes the most important thing in our lives. But it goes beyond that. Christ is our life. Because he's our life, Paul tells us that our, our mind should be, our thoughts should be set on things above, not on earthly things. To be a new person is to be a person for whom Christ is life. A person who now views everything against the background of eternity. A person who stops living as if this world is all there is or all that matters. There's an old song that uh, we used to sing when I was a kid. These are the only lines I remember from it, but these stuck with me. He is my everything. He is my all. For new creations, Christ is life. He's not an add-on to life. He's life. He's everything. He's our all. Verse 4 again, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What's it mean to be new? It means that your future is certain. You have eternal life and your future is certain. You know, the future causes people a lot of concern. We worry about what it holds. We worry about what lies ahead for us. People worry about aging Worry about death as each year brings us a little bit closer. When you are a new creation in Christ, your future is certain. You will, will be with Christ when he appears in glory. Of course, there's so much more we could say, but from Colossians 3... These are a few of the things that we see it means to be a new creation in Jesus Christ. And then we find out something. 
we find that the next couple of passages that are referenced on your outline, Colossians 3 and Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, share a concern about all of this that we've uh, shared about being new. We've seen in 2 Corinthians that we are new. We've seen in these first few verses of Colossians 3 some of what it means to be new, which is some really good stuff. And now here's the concern of both Colossians 3, 5 through 10 and Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. We've been made new. Now we need to be concerned to live like the new person we are. If you've been made new... You're to live like the new person that Christ has made you. We've seen that we're new. We've found out a little about what it means. And now we're told, be who you are. Live like who you are. And so it gets interesting. Because at this point, we have really not had anything required of us other than to turn to Christ in faith. Our being made new has not been the result of any effort on our part. It's entirely a result of what Christ has done for us. But friends, I submit to you today that living like the new people we are requires something of us. Here's what Ephesians 4 says. You were taught with regard to your former way of life To put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So Paul lets us know that though we are new, our old self is going to try to reassert itself. It tries to take over again. And so what we have to be willing to do is we have to be willing to put off the old self. And we have to be willing to put on the new self, which was created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. To live like who we are, to experience the life that we've been given by Christ, we have to be willing to do some things, to put some effort into it, to make some choices. We have to put off the old. We have to put on the new. And Colossians 3, 5 through 10 gives us some insight on what's required of us to live like the new person that we are. Here's what it says. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. There's one we don't talk about much these days, but it's in the Bible, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So notice, first of all, that once again, we're told here that we need to put off the old self, we need to put on the new self. And we see that to live like the new person Christ has made us, we have to put some things to death in our lives. We have to do it. We have to do that. 
Yes, God empowers us to do it. No, we cannot do it in our own strength. But we have to do something. It requires some effort on our part, some commitment on our part. We have to put to death the things that belong to our old self, the things that keep fighting for a place in our lives. And we have to rid ourselves of some things. Paul says, you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, the list goes on and on. And I want you to notice what Paul says here, you must rid yourselves. There's something for you to do. There seem to me, maybe I'm just the only one that runs into them, but there seems to me to be a growing number of people in the church who have come to believe that because of grace, there is no effort required of them. That it's all God and nothing is needed from them. Now, it's absolutely true we can't do this on our own. It is absolutely true we can only do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. But people, it is also true that living like the new people Christ has made us requires something of us. It requires a willingness from us, a desire, a willingness to fight, a willingness to resist the enemy, a willingness to surrender to God. God has made us new, but now we must be willing to choose to live like the new person we are. I can tell you from experience that because Christ made me new, I still have to choose to live that way. Whenever I decide that I'm not going to do anything, not going to put any effort into this, and it's like God's going to do it or it's not going to happen, I don't live the way I should. Something is required of us. We have to be willing to choose to live like the new person that Christ has made us. Colossians 3, 9 does a good job of summarizing the concern of both of these sections of Scripture in Ephesians and Colossians. It says, do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Bible commentators are very unified in their understanding of this passage. William MacDonald writes, Paul is saying, in effect, let your state be consistent with your standing. God has counted Christ's righteousness to all of us who have come to faith in Jesus. We are new. This is our legal standing before God. This is how he sees us. But now the state of our lives needs to match our standing before God. And this is where things are required of us. Putting off the old self, putting some things to death, ridding ourselves of some things. Maxie Dunham describes it this way. This is a... It's a wonderful way that he's worded this. It is a settled fact that we are dead with Christ. There is no question that we are risen with him. We have died to all Christ died to. We are raised to all he was raised to. We now have to live out in practice what has already happened in fact. Let your state be consistent with your standing is what Paul is appealing for. 
Another way that this is often said is let your condition be consistent with your position. Your position is the righteousness of God in Christ. Your position is a new creation, but now we must live in a way where the condition of our lives matches our lofty position. We are new. Among other things, that means we've been raised with Christ. Death has lost its victory. We're hidden in Christ. Christ is our life, and our future is secured, and now we have to live like who we are. You've probably seen this happen in someone's life. Maybe it's happened in your own life, but There are a few things in life that I think are more tragic than people who live below their standing. You know, people who were born into great privilege, but they don't take advantage of the privilege. They they squander it and they waste it and, and, and they end up with a wrecked life even though they had everything going for them. There are a few things in life more tragic than when we live below who we are. As Christians, we are new. One of the ways the Bible identifies Christians is that we are a royal priesthood. It says we are a chosen generation. We are the people of God. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. That's who we are. That's who you are. And friends, that is a lofty position. That is a privileged position. And it's tragic when people with that kind of identity live below it. Lower themselves to live like the people they were before Christ made them new. Live as though they aren't who they really are. And here's my appeal to all of us today. Commit or recommit to stop living below your position in Christ. I'm not asking for a show of hands. But if we were honest, so many hands would go up in this room if I asked the question, are you living below your position in Christ? So many of us are. Let's commit or recommit today to stop living that way. We're about to baptize nine people. And to those of you um, who are being baptized... And really to all of us here today who have identified with Christ, you are new and you have a responsibility to live like who you are. To those of you being baptized here in a few minutes, I want to remind you that you are burying the person that you used to be. And I want to appeal to you today to let that person stay buried. Let that person stay buried. The person that you used to be is going to try to overtake you, resist. You'll be tempted to live like who you used to be instead of who Christ has made you be willing to fight against that. Understand that your identity has changed and today your baptism is meant to symbolize that and it is meant to emphasize that. It it is, Uh, I believe, designed by God, at least in part, to drive that truth deep into your spirit, to get that from your head to your heart. I want you to understand today that you're identifying with Christ, that Christ is your life. 
He is your life. And everything from your sinful past is being buried. And I want to encourage you today. Don't hold anything back from God. Those of you who are being baptized. And all of us here today. Don't hold anything back from God. The day of your baptism is a day of full surrender to God. It is a day when you bury everything from your past life. It all gets buried. You don't bring any of it out of the water with you. It's said that during the Crusades that before the knights would be sent off to fight, they would get baptized. But it's said that they did something very curious. When they were baptized, they would hold their swords out of the water. So their bodies would be placed under the water, but they would hold their swords so that they did not go under the water. The reason they're said to have done this is because they understood that in baptism, we were completely, they were to be completely yielding their lives to God. But they were unwilling to yield their swords to God. Which really kind of made the whole thing a little pointless. But that's what they did. As odd as that seems, as curious as that seems, as much as we might criticize them for uh, doing that and think, come on, really? Obviously that's not a right thing to do. In spite of all of that, many people do this today. They turn to Christ. They get baptized, but they hold some things away from God. They keep some things under their own control rather than God's control. For those of you who are being baptized here today, understand that in your baptism, you need to be willing to bury everything from your past. Everything gets surrendered to God. Everything. You can't withhold anything from him. You will never live like who Christ has made you if you hold anything out on him. You've got to surrender it all. And friends, I think that's a message that all of us here today need to be reminded of. To live like who we are Everything has to be surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. You're new. I'm new. Let's live like who we are. Why don't you stand